Good morning. Welcome to all of our guests, visitors, and radio listeners today. The Rose on the Altar is in honor of Jerry and Sue Lehman, who will celebrate 54 years of marriage on Tuesday, August 6th. Sixth, happy anniversary to them. The Backyard Bible Study for Junior and Senior High Youth is tonight from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. at Tori and I's house. Students need to bring a chair and their Bible. We are in need of several Sunday school classroom leaders for the kindergarten age group. If you are able to help, please see Tori or Sue Leffel. Next Sunday, August 11th, from 5 to 7 p.m., we have reserved the New Bremen Outdoor Pool for an all-church pool party. This is not just for the youth. This is for everyone. Guests are welcome, so bring your whole family, your grandchildren, or even a friend. I believe that concludes our announcements. If you'll please stand for our call to worship. Call to worship. Uh, Today we'll be based on Revelation 1, verses 4 through 8 and 7 through 12. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. All praise to you, God of all, for, for your blessing upon us now, for your blessing upon us and what has been, and for the gifts of grace and peace that you give us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. All praise to you, Jesus Christ, for your great love for us, for giving yourself to us, and for bringing us back to the Father. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Lord Jesus, we look in expectant hope to the day of your great glory, and wait with eager breath to join with all creation in your praise. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to God forever and ever. Amen. If you remain standing, our first worship song this morning will be hymn number 271, Standing on the Promises of
As the children come forward for children's chat, please take time to greet your neighbor. Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning, she's ready. Okay, Miss Tori is going to talk to us about a very special place. She's going to talk to us about heaven today. Now, I wish I could tell you exactly what heaven is going to look like, but I can't. Do you know why I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like? Yeah, I'm not in it. I haven't been there yet. Not yet. I like that. Not yet. Do you know anything about heaven? Does anybody know anything about heaven? It's where Jesus and God live. It's where Jesus and God live. Connor? You're going to spoil this. Yes, the city streets are made out of gold. Um, how about you, Court? Who's up in heaven? Jesus is up there. Great Grandma Hoagie. Yeah. Well, we are going to learn about some descriptions of heaven in Revelations today. Now, in that, God's glory is everywhere in heaven. The city is made of gold and precious stones. I have a book right here. I'm going to show you a little picture. And I'm going to read you something. It says that the foundation stones of the city wall had every kind of jewel in them. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate was made from a single pearl. A street of, the street of the city was made with pure gold. The gold was clear as glass. That's Revelations 21. That comes straight from the Bible, doesn't it? It's beautiful, right? And then it goes on to tell us that God's glory lights up heaven instead of the sun. The city does not need the sun nor the moon. The glory of God is the light. The Lamb of God is the city lamp. By its light, the people people of the world will walk. The kings of the earth will bring glory to it. See how lit up it looks? Yeah. And then it also says, which I think is awesome, is that Jesus is there, which we said, and that God will be there and he will wipe away all our tears. In Revelations 21, 3 through 4, which we will hear today. Now God's home is with men. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be there with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Sadness, crying, or pain. That would be an awesome place, right? And I'll show you that picture too. We love pictures. You do. Sometimes you have to have the bad part to get to the good part. I'm so glad you're here today, sir. We do. Yes. Well, heaven is better than anything we can imagine. Now, remember that Jesus went to heaven to prepare it for us. So he's going to be there, but we need to prepare ourselves for it. How can we prepare ourselves for heaven? How can we get ourselves ready? Be good. Yeah, make good choices. Tell people about God. 
Well, I think that you guys might have a little bit of an idea what heaven looks like, but I want you to go home tonight or today and talk to mom and dad. See what they think what heaven is like. They've read the gospel, but they haven't been there yet either. But I think it's going to be an amazing place from everything I hear. Let us pray. Father God, as we are joined together today, I want to just start by saying thank you. Thank you, God, for allowing us to go to heaven someday, for making such an amazing place for us to unite with loved ones that have gone before us. I pray that each and every child up here would learn what it truly means to know and follow you as they grow. As they learn, may they pave the way to meet you in heaven one day, because heaven sounds so wonderful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the last week, killed in Afghanistan, Private First Class Brandon J. Kirschner, killed in Erzagan Province in Afghanistan, from Stryker, Ohio. Also, Specialist Michael Isaiah Nance, 24, from Chicago, Illinois. Lost in our service this week at China Lake, California, Lieutenant Charles Zachary Walker, 33, living in Lemoore, California. In Colorado, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Wallach, 41, from Houston, Texas, and in the United States, in four incidences in the last week, hate, hate, hate has killed 33, wounded or injured 75 others. Thank you, Jay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for uh, gathering us together as brothers and sisters in Christ in your name, Lord. God, our hearts are heavy this morning with all of the mass shootings that have gone on in our country, Lord, with the hearing of death of our soldiers, Lord. Um, There's just so much that we can pray for, Lord. Um, God, we take comfort in knowing that you know every single situation. You know exactly what every person needs, not only in those places, Lord, like El Paso, um, and also in Dayton this morning, Lord, but you also know what we need as well for those on the cares and the concerns list. God, we just lift up all of these people to you. We ask that you would be working in the midst of every situation, Lord, and taking care of things in only a way that you can. God, we ask that you would be uh, their comfort this morning, that you would be their strength, and that you would be made known in the midst of these tragedies, Lord. God, we do. We are excited to talk about heaven this morning, Lord, and the hope that we have in you, Lord, and that makes everything that we experience here on earth so, uh, so, so worth it, Lord, knowing that we are going to be with you one day, Lord, and that there will be no more crying or tears or anything like Krista said in children's chat this morning, and we, we long for that. And so, God, I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds this morning as we worship you, um, as we dig into your word, Lord. And God, we pray all of these things in your son's name who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite our deacons forward uh, for this morning's offering. Our offering goes toward the general fund and the general operations of our church. Uh, and we will be blessed by some awesome music. So, thank you. My bad. Hymn number, sorry, would you all stand? My bad. Uh, would you all stand and sing uh, hymn number 297? I love to tell the story. Got a little ahead of myself. <laughs>
the deacons forward to come and collect this morning's offering that's going towards our general fund. And while they're doing that, we are going to be blessed with some special music.
Our reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning, Lord. We thank you for the chance to come and to talk about heaven, Lord, uh, and the beautiful hope that we have in you and in eternity, Lord. God, we pray that you would be with us in these next moments. Open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you would be big and I would be little as I deliver your words this morning. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. So a few months ago, we did a Bible study series with our high school students called Can I Ask That? And the focus of the study was answering life's tough questions. So questions that students would have on life, what they might have on uh, the Bible, or what the Bible says about certain topics. And it was hands down one of the best series I've ever done with a group of students. Because uh, it helped us to understand and to develop a biblical perspective on life, but also on the things that the Bible says about things we face every single day. So the study covered topics from things like, does God endorse violence, to why would God allow suffering in the world? And my favorite part of this study is that from each, from week to week, we were never given solid answers in the book. We were instead forced to go and to dig into scripture and to see what God says and what his word says about each topic. And we had to process each question out loud and it often led to other questions as well. And then we also had to look at everything in our lives, in every question we asked, through a biblical lens. You know, I'm convinced, I always talk about how much I love my job, but I'm convinced that the best part of my job is answering the tough questions that students have. It allows me to enter into their world and to speak truth to their worldviews. At the beginning of each year, I always uh, tell our students that there isn't a question that I won't attempt to answer. I am an open book. They can ask me anything they want. And sometimes their questions stump me. Sometimes I have to say, you know, I really don't know the answer to that one, but I'm going to go look it up for you. And when I see you next week, I will let you know the answer to it. I firmly believe that asking questions helps us to understand the world around us. 
Asking questions about our faith helps us to understand and develop a biblical perspective on life that we as Christ followers absolutely need. And one thing I love about our students is that they are fearless. They are absolutely fearless when it comes to asking questions. The second they think of it, it comes right out of their mouth. And during my eight years in youth ministry, I've been asked many questions regarding faith and life. And sometimes the questions are funny. Some of them are things like, if Jesus were alive today, what brand of sandal would he wear? And other questions are serious. Like, why would God allow my parents to get divorced? Is that part of God's plan for my life? And the most frequent questions I get asked are regarding the end times and heaven. Our students want to know the answers to the questions that we've been trying to answer this summer as well. They want to know if heaven is real. They want to know what it'll be like, what heaven will look like, who will be there. Will they love being in heaven or will it be a total snooze fest? Or will the food be good in heaven? And my answer to many of their questions is, I'm not 100% sure because I've never died and gone to heaven. I can't give you a solid answer. I can't tell them what heaven looks like word for word because I've never been there myself. I can't tell them if the food is good in heaven or even if there is food there. And the truth is, is the reason we can't answer those questions is because there's so many things as believers we just don't know when it comes to heaven. So today we're wrapping up our mini-series in Revelation, and we're going to be talking about heaven. We're going to kind of do a Heaven 101 this morning, um, and hopefully answer some of the questions that you guys all submitted. But heaven's a really popular topic to discuss. Movies have been made on heaven, books have been written on heaven, there's been countless Bible studies done on heaven, and people have even claimed to have died and gone to heaven and come back and told about it. From the very beginning, people have been wanting to answer the question of what comes next? What happens after I die? And the reality is, is that we don't and we won't fully understand heaven and life in heaven until we get there. We get little glimpses throughout scripture. Uh, we get little, little snippets of information here and there. But there's still a lot of questions that are left unanswered. And Revelation 21, the passage that Connie just read for you this morning, I believe gives us a great picture for what life in heaven will be like. In this passage, I think we learn four essential things about heaven. So the first thing we learn is that heaven is a real place filled with God's people. So scripture uses two analogies to describe and help us to understand heaven and what it'll be like for believers. The first analogy used to describe heaven is a house or a home with tons of rooms where God lives with his people. And Jesus used the home analogy to comfort his disciples on the night before he was crucified. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. So this home analogy lets us know that heaven isn't just some made-up, ethereal place floating on a cloud above us somewhere. Uh, Heaven is a real place where believers will be with God. And twice, in three verses, Jesus refers to heaven as a physical home. 
And not only just a physical home, but Christ himself is preparing rooms for us to live in with God in that home. Now, I love thinking of heaven as a home because I'm a total homebody. Home, my home is my happy place. I'm an introvert, and so when I'm home, I can shut the rest of the world out, and I can relax and recharge. And no matter what happens at any given day, when I walk through the doors of my house, everything seems to just melt away. You know, I believe that we all have a longing for home. We long for our earthly homes when we've had a long day at work or when we've been away on a trip. We can't wait to get home and get into our own beds. But I also believe that we have a longing for our eternal home. We know that this world is is not where we are supposed to be long term. And Jesus told the disciples, and he tells us in John 14, that he's going to prepare a place for us in that home. Can you imagine how good it's going to feel when we walk through the doors of our eternal home, knowing that no matter what, we are cared for and loved and safe with our Father and finally at home in eternity with him? I think it's going to be a pretty amazing feeling. The second analogy the Bible uses to describe heaven is a holy city. Now, I used to live in Chicago. I lived there for four years. And I can tell you with certainty that the city of Chicago and many other cities around the U.S. and in the world are alive. They are alive with people, with activities, and with um, people living together in community. And the Bible uses this city analogy to describe that heaven will be a physical place of people living together in community. Isaiah 65, verses 19, 21, and 22 speak into what living in that new heavenly city will be like. He says, I will rejoice of Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. They will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they will eat their fruit. See, believers in Christ will do life together in heaven. All believers will be united together in one big city. We will work together, we will worship together, and we'll live together. And I can promise you, I don't think heaven will be boring. But can you imagine just for a minute how big the city of heaven is going to have to be? And how many believers of generations of generations of people that will be there? You know, we'll live in perfect community with each other, but I also kind of like to think of heaven as the ultimate family reunion of the body of Christ. Many of us will be reunited with loved ones that put their faith and trust in the Lord here on earth and have gone to heaven before us. And I know I'm excited to be reunited with many of my loved ones, but I'm also excited because people like Moses and Paul will be there, and I cannot wait to take one of those guys out for coffee and pick their brains a little bit. I believe in heaven that we will know each other, that we will recognize each other, and everyone who has genuinely put their faith and trust in Christ will be in the new holy city prepared for us in heaven. The second thing we learn from the scripture is that God will dwell with us in heaven. So throughout scripture, we see different places where God dwells. God dwelled in the garden with Adam and Eve from in the beginning. Genesis 3.8 says God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. So he had a face-to-face relationship, but the fall ruined that relationship that God intended to have with Adam and Eve and that he intended to have with us as well. 
And even though God could no longer be physically present in a face-to-face way, he still dwelled among his people. In the Old Testament, God dwelled with his people in the tabernacle and in the temple. In the New Testament, God literally dwelt with his people through Jesus Christ. And now God continues to dwell among us with, by, living, by the Holy Spirit living inside of us as Christ's followers. Revelation 21 gives us the promise that one day God will physically dwell with us again in heaven. In heaven, we'll be able to see God face to face with and walk around heaven with him. We'll have 24-7 access to him. You know, I've often heard the Bible described as the greatest love story ever written. This love story blows the cheesy love stories we see on the Hallmark Channel or on ABC, like The Notebook, out of the water. Because the Bible is the telling of God creating everything in existence, even you and I, and us walking away from him. And then he spends all of the Bible relentlessly pursuing and promising to bring us back to him. And in Revelation, we finally see the fulfillment of that promise. In heaven, we have the hope of being brought back into complete relationship with him. Nothing will ever separate us from him again. He will dwell with us, and we will be his people. And I believe this is one of the greatest promises that we see throughout Scripture, and it will be fulfilled in heaven. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that the effects of sin will no longer have hold on us. Have any of you ever wondered what life might be like if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from the tree and sin hadn't entered into the world? Our world would look very different than what it looks like today. But the reality is, is that we are all sinners. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we live in a sin-filled world. Sin affects every aspect of our lives. We see sin in our own hearts. We see the results of the fall affect our bodies. God never intended for us to have health problems. That was not in his original plan, but sinfulness affects our bodies just as much as it affects our hearts. We see the effects of sin in relationships. There is sin and brokenness in many marriages and families. And there's also a lot of sin and brokenness in the way that we treat the people around us. We see the effects of sin in the world around us through things like war and murder, school shootings and abortion. And all of those things are a direct result of sin. And it's really hard to imagine a world where sin doesn't exist. It's hard to imagine a world where you turn on the TV and you don't hear ten bad things that happened in one day. Thankfully, Scripture promises us that a world like that does exist. And it's in heaven. God is holy and he cannot be around sin. And so God's presence among his people guarantees that there will be no more sin. In Revelation 21.4 it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Think about it. Our hearts will no longer be tainted by sin. Our bodies will no longer have to deal with the effects of sin. We'll be made new and we'll receive new bodies in heaven. And Paul reminds us of that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. In heaven, we will receive new bodies. We will be given imperishable spiritual bodies that sin cannot touch. 
Now, you might be asking, what are our new bodies going to look like? And I really have no idea, but selfishly, I hope that my heavenly body is a little more coordinated and a little more fit than my earthly body. And I also hope that if there is food in heaven, that calories don't count and you can eat whatever you want. But, you know, all joking aside, we will receive a new spiritual body that's fit for eternity with God in heaven. Our bodies will no longer have to experience death, sickness, or hardship, and will be made completely new. And the sinfulness that once separated us from him will no longer separate us. In heaven, he will remove the sorrows of sin's past, and God will protect his people and will never experience sin in heaven. The fourth thing that we learn in this passage is that we can trust in the promise of eternity. You know, in our humanness, it's really easy to doubt. Doubt is a very natural thing that we've all struggled with at times in our life. And one thing I used to doubt was heaven. When I was younger, I would lay in bed at night and I would think about heaven and I couldn't wrap my brain around it because I couldn't see past anything on this earth. And so I wasn't 100% convinced that heaven was real. But one thing that I've realized that as I've grown and matured in my faith Uh, and studied God's word, is that God doesn't make empty promises. If God says he's going to do something, he will do it. And we see this all throughout scripture. We see this right in the beginning in Genesis when God told Noah he would do a mass reset to the earth because of the ungodliness of the people. Noah believed him, and in faith he built the ark. And after 120 years, God brought the flood and wiped the earth clean of everyone and everything except for Noah and his family. And God promised throughout the Old Testament that a Messiah would come and that he would save us from our sins. And Isaiah 53 speaks about the promised Messiah. He would be despised and rejected by man. He would be pierced for our transgressions and would have the sins of the world on his shoulders. And guess what? Jesus came. He was hated and he was despised. And even though he was perfect, he still died a sinner's death with the weight of our sins on his shoulders. And the final words Jesus said as he hung on the cross are, It is finished. Our Savior paid the price for our sins. The sacrifice was done. And just as God finished the work of creation, Jesus Jesus finishes the work of redemption. And so the Trinity will finish the entire plan of salvation by inviting the redeemed into the new creation. God says in verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. See, God is God from beginning to end, from A to Z. Everything starts with him and everything ends with him. And these are words of truth that are spoken to to us to help us to believe that everything that has been promised will be done in heaven. Redemption is complete, and we can trust in the promise of heaven, but we can also trust in the one who promised us a place in heaven. Christ's followers are redeemed and are able to drink from the water of life without cost in heaven. And Jesus used this term, living water, to represent eternal life when he talked with the woman at the well. In John 4.10, Jesus talks about this living water, and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
See, Jesus promised the woman at the well that if she drank from this living water, that she would be eternally satisfied. She would no longer thirst for the things of earth that don't fully satisfy. And in heaven, we have the promise that we get to drink from the water of life that will forever satisfy us. It will quench every spiritual thirst that we've ever had. And we will no longer have to go looking for different things to satisfy that, that, that thirst. And instead, we will drink from the water of life and enjoy it for eternity. So I realize that was a crash course in, in Heaven 101. You probably still have a lot of questions. Uh, but we do know those four truths. We know that heaven is a real place filled with believers in Christ, that God will dwell with us in heaven, that sin will no longer have any hold on us, and we can trust in the promise of heaven. But, you know, talking about heaven can bring up a mixture of emotions. Some of you might have some doubt on whether or not heaven is real. Maybe the thought of heaven brings up a bit of fear or uncertainty because you just have some questions that are simply unanswerable on this side of heaven. Some of you might be like me, where you're ready for heaven, but selfishly you've told God a couple times that if he could just wait because you want to experience a few more things, that would be great. Or others might be sitting here thinking, Jesus, either come back now or take me home because I am ready to go. But regardless of how ready you feel you are, we've all asked the question at some point in our life, how do I know that I will be in heaven? Am I good enough to get in there? And the reality is, is that heaven is a very exclusive place. The Bible makes that incredibly clear. The Bible also says that some people will not make it to heaven. Matthew 7:14 says, "But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and only few find it." See, the gate is open to all, but not everyone will find it. And I've heard multiple times throughout my life things people say things like, "You know, I'm a good person." So I think once I die that Jesus will see all the good things I've done and he will let me in, uh, and I really haven't done anything to disqualify myself from heaven. And it always makes me so sad when I overhear those things, because it's not true. We cannot earn our way into heaven by being a good person. We cannot earn our way into heaven by doing good works or being nice. The path to heaven is pretty clear, and it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. And we cannot get there on our own merit, even though we try. The only way to heaven is through Christ. In John 14:6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can receive the gift of eternal life by giving our life to Christ. Jesus, eternal life is made available through Christ and his redeeming work on the cross. God has made it easy for us to go to heaven. Christ did the hard part by dying on the cross for you. He paid the price for our sins so that one day we can all have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with God. And you know, many of us sitting here today know that truth. We know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Many of us have put our faith and our trust in Christ, but sometimes we still doubt. How can I be sure? How can I be sure I will be in heaven? I know I've had that doubt, and I know that my students have had that doubt. You know, when I lived in Chicago, I worked at a church outside of the city for four years as an intern. And my boss, Diana, the first year on the job, put me in charge of the seventh grade girls' small group. And it was 
It was really fun. (laughs) But one night during small group, we had drifted away from our questions that we were supposed to be talking about, and we had gotten onto the topic of heaven. And in many ways, I felt pretty unprepared to answer their questions because I was still a relatively young believer and didn't have a whole lot of biblical knowledge on heaven. But I tried my best. And so, you know, we started by asking the usual questions and there were some goofy ones in there. And then we started just speculating on what life in heaven would be like. And all of a sudden, one of the girls got real quiet and she said, Tori, how do I know if I'll be there? I believe in Jesus, and I know I have Jesus in my heart, but is it really that easy? And as I answered her question, I was reminded that, you know, sometimes sometimes we just need a little reassurance. Sometimes we just need a little reassurance of the hope and the security that we have in heaven as believers. Because here's the deal. Satan wants us as believers to question the hope that we have in eternity. And just as Pastor Joel said last week, Satan is a deceiver, and he's really good at it. He loves to come in and pick at our insecurities. He loves to come in and twist the truth just enough to make us question our faith or what the Bible says about something. And it was the first thing that he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He came in and he said, did God really say you couldn't eat from the tree? Did he really say that? Are you sure? And I also believe that Satan does that with us when it comes to the hope that we have in eternity. He comes in and he says, are you sure that heaven is real? Are you sure you can trust in that promise? Do you really think that God is going to want you there? Because you've done some really messed up stuff. I don't think he's going to want you there. And when we feel those doubts creeping in and being planted in our minds, we've got to tell Satan to take a hike and to go away because we know that our hope in Christ and eternity with him is secure. We don't have to wonder or worry about any of those things. And the book of Romans, one of my favorite books in all of scriptures, pulls out all of the stops when it comes to this. Paul starts by talking about our need for Christ and the salvation that we have in him. And finally, in verse 8, he ends with this beautiful, or in chapter 8, he ends with this beautiful promise of absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and the hope we have in him. Listen to this beautiful promise in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And is God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died, for, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those verses in Roman 8 are just dripping with promise and with hope that absolutely nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. And if you haven't listened to anything I've said this morning, please listen now, 
Because there is absolutely nothing you can do that will ever separate you from Christ. Christ not only defends us, he loves us, and he enters into relationship with us, and nothing will separate us from that. His, un- his death for us is proof of his unconditional and unconquerable love, and he is here with us now, but one day we do know that we will be with him in eternity. You know, in our humanness, it's really easy to doubt. Doubt and doubt in the promise of heaven. And this crash course on heaven that we did today probably didn't answer all of your questions. If you still have questions, please ask. Don't, don't remain silent. It's silly to keep your questions to yourself. You know, we may not always have every answer to every question, but that's okay, because one day we will. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. As Christ followers, we have this hope that we can hold on to in heaven. One day we will have the answers to all of our questions. One day we will be brought back into perfect relationship with the Father. And one day everything will be made known to us. And we will be fully known by our Creator in heaven. But for right now, we can trust. We can trust in the promise of eternal life, and we can trust in the God who promised us eternal life. We have the assurance that no matter what, nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love that is in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, tr- these words of truth this morning, for these words of comfort, Lord. God, we don't know everything about heaven. But we do know that it's a place where you are, and as your people, that's where we want to be, Lord. So God, I pray that you would remind us of that hope today, Lord. As we leave from this place, remind us that that is where we are going, and that everything we face on this earth pales in comparison to what we have coming for us, Lord. It's going to be so beautiful, and we are so excited to be with you there one day. God, I pray that you would be with us as we leave from this place. I thank you for this time. We love you. Amen. If you would all stand. I can't think of a better way to end our service this morning than by singing hymn number 345, Blessed Assurance.
And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go in peace.